Good evening. I'd like to once again welcome you to our Wednesday night class. And if you've been following our Wednesday night classes, we've been having a series of classes uh, that we're calling basics. So basically, they are uh, lessons that are helpful to uh, new, new Christians. But I think they are equally helpful to those of us that have been Christians for a long time. Uh, there are things that we uh, learned a long time ago, and we like to think our memories are perfect. But as we get older, we find that our memories aren't quite as perfect as we thought they were. And so I think it is a good thing for us uh, to uh, go over these things that we call basics. Uh, it's good for all of us. Tonight we will be studying biblical church leadership. Uh, and as a reminder, as we go through the things that we're going to look at tonight, it, it's good to remember that uh, the Churches of Christ are part of what is called the Restoration Movement, and it is a movement that strives to go back to New Testament Christianity. The, the goal is to strive to connect all of our beliefs, all of our teaching, all of our practices to Scripture. And so that is, that is uh, one of our, our, our goals in the Churches of Christ. And as we go through our study, you will see that we attempt to connect everything that we do to Scripture. So if you watch movies, if you watch television, if you watch the news, if you read the newspapers, it can be easy to be confused about church leadership. Uh, you hear about pastors, you hear about the Pope, you hear about bishops, you hear about archbishops, ministers, priests, you hear about reverends, you hear about fathers, you hear about deacons, elders, shepherds, apostles, you hear about presidents. So you hear all these things if you're listening to the media and yet we want it tonight, we want to study and find out what does the Bible say. So as we begin our study, let's, let's start with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the love that you've shown us, especially for your son, Jesus Christ. And we are thankful for your holy scriptures, the Bible, that is a light to us, that shows us the way that you would have us, have us live, have us worship. And we pray that you'll give us insight tonight into the things that you revealed through your holy scriptures that you'll guide us in the things that we study that will be helpful and, and uh, uh, useful as we serve you in our Christian ministry. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So first of all, there, the first thing to talk about in church leadership is who's first. So who's first is Christ. Christ is the head of the church. Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, uh, Apostle Paul tells us, he, meaning Christ, is also head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. And so we always have to remember that in any kind of discussion about leadership, that Jesus is first. So sometimes we forget that when we talk about who's in charge of the church, but Jesus is in charge of the church. So what, what biblical titles do we find uh, in the New Testament when we're talking about leaders in the church. So we find uh, the Bible talks about elders, talks about bishops, pastors, shepherds, deacons, ministers, and preachers. So these are the things that are talked about in the Bible as being uh, church leaders. So I wanted to start with a discussion of uh, the position of elder. So there's four, four titles that are used interchangeably in the New Testament uh, for elder. Uh, the first is the word elder itself, and it's uh, uh, the Greek word it comes from is uh, 
something that sounds like Presbyterios, uh, perhaps. I guess Buddy and Nick could correct me if that's wrong. Uh, the second one is Overseer, which is Episcopos. And the third one is uh, Pastor, which uh, looks like there's two words for that, and I don't know how to pronounce either one of them, so I'm not going to. But uh, Pastor, uh, the the Greek words for pastor means uh, basically a helper or feeder of the sheep. And pastor is also sometimes uh, translated as shepherd. So you might ask, how, you know, how do we know that these are all the same position? And the Bible answers that for us very, very clearly. So if you have your Bibles and you want to turn to Acts chapter 20, let's look at verses 17 and verse 28. So the setting for this is Paul is in the Letus, and he sends to Ephesus because he wants to talk to the elders from Ephesus uh, while he's in Miletus. So verse 17, from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. Then skipping down to verse 28, it's still the same context. See, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. So in this passage, we have uh, all three terms. We have elder in verse 17, we have overseer in verse 28, and we have shepherd also in verse 28. And so we see that there's no distinction between those, uh, those three terms. And that is very much different than what you get from uh, listening to TV and movies and radio is that you would think from listening to them that uh, a bishop is different than an elder and an overseer and a pastor are different, and yet this is what the Bible says, is that all of these terms are referring to the same, uh, same role. Uh, there's a similar passage in 1 Peter chapter 5, which we won't, uh, won't read, but if you want to look at that, it also talks about shepherds, elders, and talks about oversight. So shepherd or pastor in the New Testament epistles refers to the office of elder. Uh, yet, listening to media, you would think pastor referred to a minister, a preacher. And so there's one thing that uh, you know, a, lot of, a lot of other places uh, seem to confuse that term. Now, we reserve the title of pastor for our elders. Uh, however, it is in some cases, some elders are also preachers, and so they would be pastors. And preachers are helpers and feeders of the flock, so you could call them a pastor. However, to avoid confusion in, uh, in da Davis Park and many of the churches of Christ, we refer, when we use the term pastor, we are referring to elders and not ministers. So what are the duties of elders, bishops, pastors, and shepherds uh, from the above and other verses? First of all, they are to shepherd the church, uh, teach, nurture, feed. Uh, they're supposed to exercise oversight authority of the congregation. That's basically ruling authority over the congregation. Uh, they're to be a good example. They're to preach and teach. Uh, they're to resolve debatable matters. We see an example of that in Acts chapter 15 when there was question over whether circumcision was required or not. Uh, they're required to be involved in church discipline. Uh, they're involved in praying and anointing with oil the sick uh, when requested. Uh, and there's many, many other duties that the elders have that are uh, 
flow through from having oversight of the congregation. So what are the qualifications of elders? So we are very fortunate in that qualifications are very clear, or at least the enumeration of qualifications is very clear. So we have two passages that uh, tell us about the qualifications of elders. There's Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9, and then 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. They are similar, so I'm just going to read uh, 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, uh, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? And not a new convert so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. That's a long list. And uh, it, we can see that the, the standard for becoming an elder is, is very, very high. Now, we don't have time tonight to go through all of those qualifications, what each of those means, uh, but that, would, that is a good study uh, to have. So the next question might be, who selects the elders? Well, in a congregation without elders, we have an example from the New Testament. Uh, we have in Acts chapter 14 and Titus chapter 1 that uh, missionary, missionaries, appointed elders in churches that didn't have elders at the time. So in Acts chapter 14, 23, uh, speaking of Paul and Barnabas, when they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they believed. And then in Titus chapter 1, verse 5, for this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. So I think we see from these two passages that the expectation is that uh, uh, every church would have elders. Uh, we see that in this case, the missionaries appointed the elders, uh, but in congregations with elders, the existing elders usually manage that process. And then in a congregation where there is no missionary, there's no elders, uh, sometimes the minister will manage the process. And then finally, in a congregation without without a missionary preacher, without elders, without a preacher, uh, a lot of times it falls to the uh, job of a committee. Uh, but what, doing these kinds of things with a committee is very, very difficult. So the next question would be, how are elders selected? Now for this, we don't have a biblical example of how they are selected, uh, other than we can assume by prayer. Uh, but I wanted to share with you tonight what typical processes are for selecting elders. Uh, typically, the process will start with the elders discussing uh, within uh, their own meetings whether or not new elders are needed. And when that decision is made that new elders are needed, then the elders will let the congregation know that they're starting the process to look for new elders. And they will solicit names and ask the congregation to pray about the process and pray that God will raise men up that are qualified to serve in that role. Then once, once the eldership starts receiving potential names of new elders, 
there's a review of the qualifications of the men put forth according to 1 Timothy and Titus chapter 1. Then uh, once the elders have selected from uh, that group, uh, they will select from that group and then they will uh, interview the men who are under consideration to see further determination if they're qualified and, and further to see if they're willing to serve. Not everybody that is qualified is willing to serve. Then, once the elders have made a final determination that these men are qualified and willing to serve, the elders would typically share those names with the congregation and give a period of time to say, uh, is there anybody who has any information that would uh, impact our decision to install these men as elders? And if nothing comes in at that, then men are usually installed as elders in uh, a very uh, low-key ceremony, such as coming down to the front of the auditorium, being prayed over by the existing elders, and from that point on, they would be considered elders. So for congregations without elders, a lot of times the preachers will manage that kind of a process. And uh, again, if you don't have preachers or elders, a lot of times it falls to committee, which again is uh, extremely difficult because the problem is the committee, everybody wants to be on the committee, more people they have on the committee, harder it is to get things done. So the next question, should el elders ever be disciplined or removed? Uh, you know, it's, it is a, a truth that elders are not infallible. We have not completely conquered sin, uh, nor are elders assured to remain faithful to the scriptures. And so thankfully, the Bible gives us information about this. Uh, in Acts chapter 20, uh, this is, again, uh, when Paul is talking to the Ephesian elders. Uh, he says in verse 29 of Acts 20, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. So Paul is warning the elders that even from among their own group, there may be people that arise that uh, draw people away. And then there's one other piece of of uh, advice from, t from Paul in 1 Timothy 5, verse 19 and 20, uh, Paul tells Timothy, don't receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. Those who continue in sin rebuke in the presence of all so that the rest will also be fearful of sinning. So this suggests if an elder is uh, caught up in a sin, uh, that they should be confronted. Uh, however, the bar is very high for, making an for receiving an accusation it's going to be two or three witnesses. And two or three witnesses means two or three people that have actually seen uh, the sin happening. And so uh, being in any kind of leader, it is, it is easy to have somebody who wants to find opportunity to take you down. And uh, the Holy Spirit through Paul is saying, you've got to make sure this is legitimate before you start going down the road of disciplining an elder. So in this case, Timothy, who was a missionary preacher, uh, appears directed to first confront the sitting elder privately and it's reasonable to expect uh, in a congregation with elders that the other elders would do uh, serve that role although a preacher could and if an elder is unrepentant after being confronted they are to be rebuked uh, publicly uh, certainly with the hope out of love that they would be restored however if an elder who is caught up in a sin is unrepentant they would need to be removed from office it's not surprising that this process that Paul gives Timothy uh, pretty well mirrors uh, the direction that Jesus gave in Matthew 25 uh, or Matthew 18, uh, where he's telling 
what should you do if your brother sins? The next question you might have is, are there limits on the authority of elders? And uh, the elders derive their authority from Christ as head of the church. And the authority of the elders is limited through Christ and the Holy Spirit through the revealed word. And, and uh, I, for one, am so thankful that it is limited. I would not want uh, unlimited authority. So from the passages we've uh, looked at, one other uh, uh, thing that goes along with the authority of the elders is that in uh, Acts, Acts 14, where Paul and Barnabas said they appointed elders in Titus 1, it is saying that there needs to be a plurality of elders. And so that, that is a, a wonderful, wise thing that the Holy Spirit has given us and that uh, no one man has the, the authority to make all the decisions for a congregation, that in every decision you have the uh, collective wisdom of the eldership. And in, in these cases, you have various different perspectives that all come into play, and, and that allows the eldership to make much, much better decisions. So that is a, is a limit uh, on their authority as well. Uh, we also see that the expectation is all churches should have elders if they have qualified men. And uh, the New Testament example is that the authority of the elders of a congregation is limited to that particular congregation. Elders in one congregation don't have authority in most cases over the eldership of another congregation. Uh, but elderships do frequently consult and advise with each other, and that is also a wisdom. Uh, one, one possible exception, and, and there may be others, is that uh, if, if a mature church with elders plants a congregation without elders, then they might serve under the eldership of the parent church until they could establish their own elders. Uh, so I, I suspect that is a common thing. So next, let's talk about deacons for a little bit. So deacon, I believe the Greek word is diakonos, which basically means one who serves. And uh, let's look at the qualifications for deacons. So this is also in 1 Timothy 3, verses 8 through 13. Deacons, likewise, must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to much wine or fond of sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. These men must also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. Uh, women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Deacons must be husbands of only one wife and good managers of their children and their own households. But those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in faith that is in Jesus Christ. So you can see again there is a pretty extensive list to qualify as a deacon. Uh, now the next question would be what are the duties of a deacon? And surprisingly, the New Testament is not, uh, not very verbose on the duties of a deacon. Uh, I think one thing that we can help understand the duties of the deacons by, is by looking at what are not their duties. What are the duties that are reserved to the elders? So if you look at the list qualifications for the deacons, you look at the list qualifications for elders, the things that deacons are not uh, necessarily required to do that elders are, are the deacons have no ruling authority over the congregation, no oversight. Uh, the deacons have no requirement to be able to preach or teach. The deacons don't have any responsibility in congregational discipline. 
The deacons don't have any responsibility in resolving debatable manners, matters. Uh, they don't have any responsibility to protect or feed the crop or the flock. While I would hope they would, that is not one of the responsibilities uh, that is clearly placed upon the deacons. That doesn't mean the deacons cannot help the elders in, in discharging those responsibilities. It's just those are not things that are part of the qualifications for deacons. We might gain a little insight into the deacons from uh, the selection of the seven in Acts chapter six. Uh, I'm not gonna read this passage, it's a little bit lengthy, but the setting is that uh, there was a complaint about food being distributed to the Greek widows. And the apostles said, well, it doesn't make sense for us to do this, uh, you know, bring forward some men, then we'll give them the responsibility to do that. And we can focus on, on the word of God, on uh, spiritual things. And so they selected seven men. And so a lot of people look at these as, as uh, deacon-like positions. And so it perhaps has uh, uh, something that can teach us about the relationship between elders and deacons. Uh, these men are not called deacons in Acts chapter 6, but the purpose was to allow the apostles to focus on spiritual matters, and, and I believe that probably is a similar uh, distinction between elders and deacons. The elders are freed up from doing a lot of the physical things or focus ministry things by handing off some of these things to the deacons. Uh, in many respects, the deacons serve as assistants to the elders, as people that can go off and do things that the elders need to do but by giving it to the deacons, it gives the elders more time to focus on other things. So even though these, uh, the duties aren't enumerated in the scriptures, some of the things that have been assigned to deacons in the past are things such as buildings and grounds, uh, managing a benevolence program, uh, or security uh, precautions, small groups, senior saints, uh, managing our attendance, uh, worship coordination, a greeting ministry, audiovisuals, men's ministry, uh, photography, visitation, finance, helping with finance, and, and hospitality, and there's many, many more. And so a lot of these are things that are very focused, they have a, a very clear scope, and uh, it, it is very helpful for the elders not to have to be responsible for, for each and every one of these ministries. So what are the limits on the authority for deacons? Authority of deacons is derived from uh, the authority assigned to them by the elders, and uh, the authority of the deacons is always in submission to the elders, and the authority is typically limited to the ministry area in which a deacon serves. So next question, how are deacons removed? Again, we, we don't have any guidance on that, uh, but since the deacons are uh, uh, under the authority of the elders, Typically, if there's a need to remove a deacon, it is initiated by the elders. So what about, what about 1 Timothy 3.11, this, this verse about women must likewise be, uh, there's a lot of debate about this verse. Uh, the Greek word translated women in that verse can also be translated wife. And so it could be meaning uh, the wives of the deacons uh, need to be this way, or it can be translated woman. So it could mean women deacons. And there are reasonable arguments for, for both interpretations, and we probably have people uh, in the congregation that feel strongly both ways. Uh, however, if the intent was to be deaconesses, uh, other New Testament passages would uh, 
would uh, put constraints on the roles that the type of ministries that a, a female deacon uh, would be able to lead. Uh, but we, uh, th there is not certainty, it is not crystal clear, and so we don't appoint women as deacons uh, because of the uncertainty and, and also to keep unity of the body. Now related to deacons is we also have servants of the congregation who don't have the title of deacons, and yet they are servants, they're ministry leaders, uh, but they're not deacons. So what is the difference between someone who is a, a ministry leader or a servant of the congregation and someone who is a deacon? Well, the, the one is the deacons are a formal, have a formal leadership role versus somebody who has more of an informal uh, leadership role. But both work at the discretion and under the authority of the elders. Uh, one has formal vetting, uh, as we read about the qualifications of deacons. One has informal vetting. Uh, one set of uh, the role of, of deacon uh, is not quite as easy to move in and out of as it is an informal role. In a formal role, you could, you could serve for, uh, for a year in, in some ministry, take a break for a year, and then come back. And uh, that is very, very easy to do with an informal role. Uh, the other possibility, that was not a possibility, the other certainty is that some people don't want to draw attention to themselves. They don't want to be put forward as deacons, but they are more than happy to do their service of ministry uh, without a title. And there, we do have both men and women in the congregation who serve without titles. Uh, we have, uh, in, in, you know, as we were talking about the role of women, whether they can be deacons or not, we do have many uh, ministries and servants who uh, lead uh, ministries who are women and some examples of uh, a women's ministry who uh, they do things such as women's retreats, women's Bible studies. They've also uh, raised money to uh, help fund some of the improvements in the building. Uh, we've had women in leading our preschool education program. We've had women leading our elementary education program. Uh, we still do have women that manage the food ministry for those who are sick or recovering from surgery. Uh, we've had uh, women uh, leading the ministry to prepare communion back when we did have to prepare communion. And there's many, many others. And so it, there are many, many important things that women do. Uh, but uh, at this congregation, they do it in the informal capacity uh, as opposed to being uh, with a particular title. So that brings us to ministers. So ministers by ministers, uh, I, I'm going to take that to mean preachers, evangelists, ministers, missionaries, and uh, those who are usually in a paid position, but not, not necessarily. So one of, the, one of the questions, we do see all of these terms in, in the New Testament, but one of the questions uh, in, in watching uh, our media, TV, radio, movies, you might ask, do preachers, evangelists, ministers, do they have to be ordained? And the answer is there is no such thing in the New Testament as being ordained. There are situations where missionaries were, uh, were uh, prayed over and sent forth. Uh, there are also uh, is the instance of Paul, where Paul was called directly through the Holy Spirit uh, to be uh, a missionary to the, uh, the Gentiles. 
but there were some, some creatures who seemed to be self-appointed. Uh, so one good example is uh, Apollos. Uh, Apollos was, uh, was a Jew, uh, and he was an eloquent man, and he didn't have, he didn't have uh, the scriptures completely accurate. And so the, the uh, implication seems to be he was just a, a great guy. He was on fire for God. He wanted to go out and preach the word, and so he did. And so, uh, so you don't necessarily have to have uh, any particular training. You don't have to go to, to preaching school. Uh, in fact, one of, one of the most effective preachers back in the early 1900s uh, was a man named Marshall Keeble, and I don't, I don't believe he even had high school education, I don't believe, and, and yet he was, he was uh, very effective for the gospel. Others are trained by, uh, by others, uh, both Timothy and John Mark. Uh, we could look at the, the scriptures and see that they, they were mentored uh, by the apostles. So you might ask, how, how would a congregation select a preacher if they were, were, uh, were looking for one? And this is another one of those. There's no New Testament example. However, uh, it, it might be uh, insightful for you to know what is the process that, that or, or the kind of process that's used when selecting a preacher. Uh, usually, it's easier when you have elders in the congregation. If you have elders, they would first start by sharing with the congregation that we were planning to hire a preacher. And then elders would use word of mouth. They would use ads and, and publications to uh, get the word out that uh, we're looking for uh, someone in the brotherhood who is interested in a, in a preaching position. Uh, once the elders had enough resumes, they would start looking through them, start evaluating them. Uh, probably, there's many, many criteria, but probably the three, uh, three that come to mind immediately is one is we would be looking for somebody that is scripturally sound in their doctrine. Uh, someone whose strengths based on their experience in education uh, was a good fit for the needs of the congregation. And then we would also listen to sermons online or submitted tapes, and we would use all this to help us uh, decide who would we move to the next level. And so once we had a smaller uh, top, top candidates out of a larger pool, we would go through phone interviews, we would use phone references to make sure that what other people say about them is similar to what they say about themselves. Uh, we have used questionnaires to make sure we understand uh, the doctrinal positions of applicants. Uh, we would sometimes send an elder to the applicant's current congregation un unawares so that we could see how they, uh, how they interact with their current congregation. And then for the top one or two, we would probably move forward to in-person interviews and then have the applicant come and preach one or two times for this congregation. And then we would solicit congregational input to get a feel for uh, the congregation's attitude towards the applicant and then we would evaluate all the input that we had on the candidates to uh, make a final selection. Once final selection was made, we would negotiate compensation and timeline, and then without, within the near future after that, hopefully have a, a preacher in place. So uh, we've talked about limits of authority on elders and deacons. What are the limits of authority on our ministers? So. In a congregation with elders, the authority of the minister, ministers are derived from and in submission to the elders. Most important responsibility authorities delegated to ministers is uh, to preach, teach, uh, reach out to the lost, and evangelize. And uh, as far as uh, teaching that our ministers do, uh, at times the elders will direct our ministers to address particular topics. and. Uh, 
they have always been happy to do so. Uh, at other times, we, the elders review uh, the topic uh, and strategies uh, for sermons and, and classes beforehand with our ministers, and then uh, they will move forward with that uh, with uh, elder consent. So the elders also typically delegate some other responsibilities and authorities to our ministers that are helpful. For instance, management of our office staff and uh, member counseling, which uh, you know, both of our ministers now have experience and training and counseling, whereas I don't believe any of our elders do. And so there are other things that we delegate to our preachers. Um, then as far as how preachers are removed, it's not, it's not a pretty picture. Uh, sad to say. Uh, <laughs> so uh, the, fi the firing of a preacher is traumatic. It's traumatic for the eldership. It's traumatic for the minister. And it's traumatic for the congregation. It is not something that is ever done uh, um, without much, much prayer, uh, deliberation, and uh, almost always every attempt has been made to rectify whatever the problem is before it ever gets that far. Uh, in almost all cases, the congregation will not be aware of the most significant factors in the decision uh, to let a, a preacher or minister go. And this eldership, I don't know about others, but this eldership chooses not to share info, uh, information that the congregation does not know that it does not need to know because even in cases where we have had to let somebody go, uh, we still loved and cared about uh, the ministers that we were letting go, and we did not want to harm their ability to move on to another experience. And uh, thankfully, this is a, a rare occurrence, but it does, does happen. So, so I want to talk about one other thing uh, real quick, I hope, is uh, some, some groups will give their preachers honorary titles, uh, you, you, hear, you hear the word father for uh, you know, the Catholic priest, you hear the word reverend for a lot of folks, uh, and you hear the word pastor. So we've, we've talked about pastor already. Uh, the pastor really is uh, better reserved for the eldership. Uh, but there is a verse in the Bible that talks specifically about these things. Matthew 28, uh, verses... 8 through 10, but do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, and you are all brothers. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father who is in heaven. Do not be called leaders, for one is your leader, that is Christ. So in this verse, Jesus gives us a lot of things not to call people. Well, I do want to say something about father. So he is not talking about, don't call your dad father. He is talking about honorifics. Right, so everybody understands honorifics is just a way, a title to bestow honor upon someone. So he, Jesus is talking about honorifics. And Jesus is not limiting his prohibition to these titles only, uh, but more generally to the use of honorifics of any kind to set one person above another, even if you are a leader. So this would also prohibit using pastor, elder, deacon, bishop, minister, leader, is honorifics, but it is okay to recognize people by title. But what you don't want to do, well, at least this is this is my my understanding of the verse. You may want to disagree with me, but uh, I believe that 
this teaching would, would make it okay to come up to say to me or, or John, uh, John, as one of the elders, you know, I had a question about this particular doctrine. I think that's okay. But if you're coming up to me and saying, hello, Elder Gary, I think that is getting into great territory as that's exactly what Jesus was talking about. Don't use honorifics to set people uh, above each other. And probably the one that probably of the ones that we, uh, of that list that may be the most offensive to Jesus is the honorific of reverend. So reverend means that someone is to be revered and only the persons of the Holy Trinity are the only ones who should be revered. And so we want to stay away from, from all of that stuff. Uh, and, and this is something that Jesus himself asked us not to do. And so uh, let's do our best not to do that. So the intent is that uh, we as humans are so susceptible to pride that it's so easy for us to fall into the temptation of uh, becoming proud of ourselves. And that's really what he was, Jesus was addressing, is those who wanted to be uh, exalted in the eyes of the people. And so it is really just to help us not get the big head. And so uh, I think that's a good thing to do. So we've got about two minutes left. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about what, what does the Bible say about the Pope, Archbishop, Cardinals, Priests, and church presidents. Yeah, that's right. No, no examples of these anywhere in the New Testament. None of these are scriptural positions. Uh, not completely sure how some of them. Some of them you can understand how they came about. Uh, others are a little harder. But uh, these, these are not things. We don't use these terms because it is not in the Bible. Uh, there's no guidance. There's no examples. And so we stay away from that stuff. So we covered a lot of, uh, lot of material, and uh, there's so much more that could be said. I mean, we, we could have done whole lessons, series of lessons on each one of these sections on elders, deacons, and ministers. And, and we've really just touched the surface, talked about who they are, what they are, what their duties are, how they're selected. And uh, if you have questions, uh, don't don't just keep those questions to yourself. Uh, let us know. You can let uh, any of the elders know. You can talk to Nick or Buddy, uh, and we would be happy to uh, discuss further uh, any of the things we discussed tonight. So as we close, let's uh, let's have a closing prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for uh, the love that you have for us. We're th so thankful for the church, and uh, we see your inspired hand in and the scriptures, and that you've given us what we need to know to, uh, to set up scriptural leadership in the church. And we pray that you'll help us always to be true to your word. Pray that you will always guide us uh, and give us the wisdom we need to do so. Uh, we pray that you'll be with each and every one of our members, and, and uh, we also pray for uh, all of the lost in Modesto, and we pray that you'll help us as we uh, reach out to the lost, and we pray that you will... Uh, provide ready hearts to hear your gospel. Pray that you'll be with each of us this night as we continue upon uh, to our homes, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.